Welcome to The Board, a podcast series on mechanical keyboards by the mechanical keyboard community. Proudly brought to you by Idea23. Awesome caps at great prices. Kibio, the place for split keyboards. And DIY keyboards. Get cracking. Another week, another episode, and a few more things to talk about keyboards-wise. Uh, I'm not sure if I sound a little bit croaky. I do feel a little bit congested, but it has been actually quite cold and quite windy in Sydney in the last couple of days, so much so that we've started getting snow within sort of the city limit areas, which is not exactly rare or super unusual. It's just, I think, the first snows for winter finally kicking in within sort of the general Sydney Basin area, uh, at least out between sort of the Blue Mountains area into Lithgow. So that cold snap weather that we've been waiting for has finally struck. Now, yesterday I was over at my parents' place and my nephew and niece who live in the U.S., have been over for their summer holidays. They wanted to sit outside and crack open macadamia nuts, so we ended up sitting outside cracking open macadamia nuts in the wind and the cold for a bit. So I ended up with probably a bit of a head cold, uh, so it wasn't feeling the greatest last night and didn't record last night, which is why I'm doing it now. So I do apologize if uh, I sound a bit, sound a bit congested or, or nasally or anything else. So this week, there's been a couple of interesting things that have happened for me. And then, of course, there's always the topics of the week. So let's just roll into a usual what's been happening in Don's keyboard world. Uh, mm, Well, first and foremost, I guess, I had some training and... I've had training before in regards to coaching and mentoring, and this was more of a more specific and in-depth look at what exactly is coaching and how do we support coaching within the workplace. And I feel that the way that it was approached and the way that it was delivered and the considerable amount of practice that we got to do during this course was really good because uh, the application of coaching is context agnostic. It doesn't really matter what your topical area of assistance you need. Coaching can be applied. And it was great to have that distinction and clarification between coaching and mentoring. So if you're not fully aware of the difference, mentoring is providing advice, providing direction based upon your own experience. It's where you use your anecdotes and past life experience in similar situations. Whereas coaching is more about being able to provide clarity to a situation, exploring options, and helping the person being coached obtain a way forward. Now, you might ask, how does this affect keyboards? How does this come into the world of mechanical keyboards? I think the way that we often ask questions when somebody is coming into the space of wanting to be involved in mechanical keyboards is an example of coaching. So somebody comes in to say Reddit or Discord, Facebook and says, hey guys, I'm looking for a mechanical keyboard. What should I get? This is the opening for essentially coaching. If we were taking the mental state of you know, just pushing information at them, that is mentoring and not coaching because we're going, oh, well, you should get this, you should get that, you should get this. Coaching would be saying these open questions and a lot of people do this and they do it without knowing. They ask the open questions of what is your budget? What are you going to use it for? What, you know, is your office space environment like? And what kind of switches do you like? So these open questions bring out, they elicit a response from the person being coached. And then they start to form 
the opinions and the options themselves because they're answering questions. So coaching really, if you want to think about it, is just a way to get somebody to rethink and rephrase what they already know, what they already feel, to a point where they can make a decision and then you sort of consolidate that with them and say, well, that's what you should do. Go out and try this or go out and buy that or save more money because you really actually want that and you just don't have the money for it right now. I think it's very powerful. The other aspect of this, besides coaching at an individual level, is the impact upon teams. And because it was a coaching in the workplace type of course and aimed at that for leadership roles, uh, how does that apply to mechanical keyboards? And the way that it can apply to mechanical keyboards is, well, quite often we have teams of people working on things. We have teams of people who work on keyboard designs. It's, I'm not going to say that it's super rare and it's, that it doesn't happen that people do a complete keyboard from scratch. And what I mean by that, you know, case and PCB and a group by, you know, all in one person. It does happen. It does happen quite successfully and also happens not successfully. But you're going to also find situations where teams of people are working together who do keyboard design, who want to put out a keyboard and they use another party for the purposes of producing their PCB. And they're going to ask somebody else for the artwork, somebody else to design the packaging in the box, and somebody else is going to help them with logistics and shipping and collecting money and stuff like that. Big group buys will have inherently a team of people involved, even if their name is not specifically as a group of people. And coaching for teams is very different compared to coaching for people in the sense that you have to take into account the mentality and behaviors to drive towards a common goal. So things to think about is setting goals to an appropriate level for each individual person that lines up with a overall goal. But in order to do that, you have to understand what each person's needs and requirements are and coach them through that. And that's where it gets really tricky. So you'll end up having time that needs to be spent per person and then overarching on top of that for the whole group. We did some really good uh, exercises on that and examples of that. And there was a really fantastic sporting analogy that had been used where essentially you come in as a new coach to a soccer team They've lost all the games that they've had this season and it runs through a whole bunch of things in regards to, say, team selection and, you know, training activities before the match, during the match and after the match. And by looking at the different options and selecting them, it was able to give you a breakdown of the types of thought and reasoning behind each of those decisions and how effective as a coach you could be by making those decisions. And all of that while it seems very specific to sports, is not. Because you can take those same thoughts and draw them out to other context areas. So, you know, if this is the kind of stuff that you might be struggling with because you do look after teams within the keyboard space, or you want to be putting together a team of people to do something within the keyboard space, have a little think about it first. And, and you know, perhaps get it down on paper and understand, well, what is their purpose upon the team? What is it that you need them to achieve? You know, because it only takes one poor performing person within a team that can make an entire process fail. So if somebody hasn't followed up and got you figures, numbers, they haven't got you a model, they haven't got you, you know, a guarantee from a factory, or they haven't got you color samples for a keyboard buy or a design, your timing is going to drag out or something's going to get missed. You're going to have a quality control issue and so on and so forth. If you need some help with that, if you want to have some discussions, you know, by no means am I a professional coach, but now I feel a lot more comfortable in being able to assist somebody through coaching. Hit me up, let me know. We can have a chat about it. Okay. Simple as that. Now, the other things that are happening or that have happened this week, and this is going to be an interesting topic. And I want to put it out there that 
I know that the person who is involved in this is going to be listening and I'm going to say I'm 100% appreciative of the time and effort that you've put in and please by all means do not feel like I am trying to you know put you in a negative light or anything of that nature because I'm not and I want this to be an open discussion because I'm very community based and I want our listeners and our community who may hear this to understand what is happening here in this space and I'm talking about stickers so anybody who's been listening to this podcast and been involved in our slack channel and whatnot and even on youtube will know that i'm trying to make stickers happen for a little bit of fundraising and to just get more stickers out there something you know different unusual and we've had the competition before where we've had sticker ideas being elicited now some sticker ideas are probably better and easier to turn into stickers and others not so and you know i'd said hey if you want to help out let me know get get in contact with me so somebody within our community drew a fantastic sticker absolutely amazing sticker and sent me a copy of the draft you know sort of near completion almost perfect and I loved it it was just amazing and I said what would you be looking for in regards to the financial compensation for this artwork and its use in stickers now I'm not going to go into the actual figures that was asked for but I didn't know what to expect I didn't have a lot of information I'd contacted some other people and previously prior to this by the way so I had some kind of general idea of what had been used within the keyboard community because searching around on other platforms there doesn't seem to be any particular standards and and that makes it really challenging and I can understand that art is a very difficult field to put in a price because it often will be related to time it'll be related to materials it'll be related to experience levels to be related to size it'll be related to reputation you know all of these things come into a very complicated non-standard formula where a price x will come down to what an art piece is worth so this person put down a number and a percentage and i was like whoa okay so i hadn't really expected that but it wasn't out of my my field of thought that it could be something that somebody was going to ask and i explored that question a little bit more and i was very upfront and i said hey you know that's a little bit high to what i had been originally thinking and i wasn't entirely sure when you said a percentage there is it a percentage against retail or profit because percentage against the retail the sale price versus a profit is a very different margin and they had said originally it was they thought it to be against retail the issue with that was well i as much as i wanted to be making a little bit of money to help support my project activities and the board and being able to pay for stuff running at that margin on the actual sale price potentially would have actually left no profits because i'm not somebody to be out there gauging a lot of profit off stuff okay but if it was a percentage against a profit margin then that's probably a little bit more palatable but they had expectations of a certain volume of stickers being sold to be reaching a certain amount and of course you know they'd added the extra conditions of if they had been given the option to receive a percentage of profits then they would want to retain 100% of all intellectual property and the ability to run stickers and stuff like that themselves and so on and so forth so it's a really tricky space to be in how is this you know to be approached i would love to hear other people's thoughts and advice on what they would expect or anticipate or if they have experience in running stickers themselves on the types of commission and compensation scheme that they have had with their artists now i don't want to be ripping off this person's work because it's amazing work and i understand that the amount of hours that they've put in 
has been quite considerable. And I don't know if that, well, see, because I didn't go to them and say, I want you to make these stickers. And because if I had done that, I would have had the discussion with them first up front and then said, this is what I'm willing to pay and this, or agreed to it before the work was done. The work was already done before we had the opportunity to have this discussion, which is where I feel a lot more awkward about it. Now, somebody else that I know, and I would sort of missed talking about this the other week in the short episode, I kind of touched on is, you know, the partner of a friend of mine is an art teacher and they were really interested. So my friend is actually sort of managing their time and their costs. And because the actual person doing the artwork doesn't really care that much about it. And as it was put to me, they're really enjoying doing this stuff. So I'm going to, you know, gauge how much the value aspect here is based upon that. And I have an agreement with them. It's predefined and I know what I'm in for. So, you know, that's where it gets really hard for a situation where the tables got reversed here in that the work was done first and then it was, well, this is what I'm after. So one solution that I've come up with, and I'm kind of just wrapping up on this topic now, is that the stickers are still potentially doable and makeable. And the IP would still be held by the artist. It's just that they could run the artist. So they could run the sticker themselves through whatever means possible. And you guys could still get the sticker. Because at the end of the day, I love this sticker. I love it heaps. My wife looked at this and she's quite artistically inclined. And she was like, that's a good sticker. And, you know, she pointed out a couple of things from a uh, artist's perspective. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I have to provide this feedback here in that, you know, anatomically, that part should be thicker on the thigh and the way that the person was leaning, you know, like some of the features didn't fully scale up in the way that it should be. But I didn't see those, right? And I have an anatomical background. So it's more that my wife was like, you know, the way that it had been drawn was was great, was stylistic, and it was 100% clean and crisp, and you knew exactly what you were seeing. It was just, for her, you know, they were the things that would stand out, because it just didn't sit right. Um, But look, if that sticker ever comes out, I don't care that I'm not running it, because I think it's an amazing sticker. So at the end of the day, whoever runs it, whoever gets the money, it doesn't matter, you guys would have a fantastic sticker. So, Mr. Artist, when you hear this, um, I'm, I'm deadly serious. If you need assistance in making that sticker happen, even if we can't come to some kind of agreement, then by all means, I think we should make that happen. Uh, I just can't remember who exactly gave me that idea or if it was one of my sticker ideas compared to one of the sticker ideas from the competition, uh, which we'd have to have a look at. Uh, and if it's somebody else's idea, well... We, you know, we'll have to get some discussion with them on that, on what they would like out of it. If it's one of my ideas, then I don't have a problem with you running those stickers and making the money yourself because it was your time that was put into it. Simple as that. Okay, now rolling along. Next week, I will be interstate for pretty much most of the weekend. Um, I will be in Queensland attending my best friend's younger brother's wedding. Uh, so not quite sure what's going to happen in regards to the podcast, but talking with Danny from Kibio, he has offered that him and his mate can do an episode. Now, if you're not familiar with Danny from Kibio and his mates, they run Off the Clack, which is a podcast, of course, on mechanical keyboards. So yeah, I mean, I'm more than happy to have a crossover episode where I pretty much just upload, I guess, another episode of Off the Clack. We'll see what happens. But I actually technically do come back late on the Sunday of the weekend. I don't know what my mental state is going to be. Possibly quite ragged from the travel and small child and sleep deprivation and all that kind of stuff. But we'll see what happens. Either way, hopefully we'll have an episode next week regardless of where it comes from. Uh, Now, to extend on that... I am actually having an opportunity to have a Queensland mini-meet. So if you are in Brisbane on Saturday, the 17th of August, we will be meeting at the 
Queensland State Library makerspace. It's called The Edge, and it's meant to be from 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Uh, some of the locals there have arranged with the makerspace to be able to use the space to have a little bit of a mini-me, and they've also booked out the laser cutter to do some demos and stuff like that. Please come along if you can. Some of them will go out for, you know, beer and possibly dinner afterwards, because there's plenty of places to eat and drink around that sort of South Bank and the river area. But make sure if you're coming to the makerspace that you wear closed footwear, because it is a safety requirement for the makerspace. Now, if you want a little bit more details on that, you'll have to join the Australian Mechanical Keyboard Discord and then get a role assigned to you for Queensland and you can ask some questions there. So it should be good. I'm looking forward to that. I haven't had an opportunity to meet most of the Queensland people I've been chatting with for, you know, two years almost on Discord. Uh, I'm going to bring my mobile recording kit and hopefully I might be able to pop in some mini interviews with some people as well if time and space and noise levels permit me to do so. Should be exciting. Right, now, let's get into some topics from this week. Some very quick sort of PSA there is that there is going to be a 2019 Sydney meetup. Yay, it's finally getting somewhere. A couple of weeks, a couple of months back, somebody had put up their hand, and everyone went, ooh, awesome, fantastic, we'll support you, and then that just died in the arse. Nothing happened from it. So now somebody else has stepped up and said, hey, I really want to make a meet happen. Is this person still doing it? And I said, you are more than welcome to take carriage of it and run with it. So we're starting to get that rolling. An interest check has been put out on Facebook, on Discord, and on Reddit. Please fill that out. It's got a bunch of dates in it as well as location in regards to, you know, if you want North Shore, City, Southwest or West. And then uh, that person is actually going to start looking for options and venues and sizes and timing against the dates and so on and so forth. Should be good. Should be good. Okay. Now, uh, this week there was an announcement by essentially somebody working with JTK. And it was a new keycap profile called the HSA. And the HSA stands for half SA. It's quite exciting, actually, because uh, HSA as a profile is the same as an SA in that it's spherical and sculpted, but it's reduced in height. It's going to be double shot ABS with a glossy finish. Now, a lot of people don't like the high gloss, so it's obviously something that they're not going to be interested in. But I can tell you that if you're very careful and methodic in regards to using very fine sandpaper, as previously demonstrated by other people on Reddit, you can take that gloss off. <laughs> so you can, you can give it a bit of a hit with that and take that shine off and it'll give you a matte finish until your fingers start to wear it back into a gloss. What makes that more interesting is the fact that it's going to be double shot, so it doesn't matter. You're not actually going to be scrubbing away die sub layers of the keycap. So double shot's very sort of supportive of reducing shine and gloss if you use the physical, you know, sandpaper method. Now, JTK has had a lot of feedback from the community previously with other keycap sets and whatnot. So they've been working on the legend sharpness. So keycaps are being remolded for a whole bunch of stuff and inconsistencies, odysseys, kerning problems and things like that have also been looked at. Now it's really, really exciting. And somebody already had a sample kit, uh, no well, Nodgers, N-O-J-J-E-R's, was actually sent one and they took it to the Seattle meetup and people basically had a look at it and they gave some feedback on Top Clack, our good friends at Top Clack. So if you actually want to see a bit more detail about that and hear some opinions from Brian Quakums from Top Clack, then please check out the actual post from the link and then you can check out the actual episode that will talk about that as well. They are... You know, looking to do a group buy for either a white on black or beige on brown to start with and see how well that goes. 
I think the white on black is probably going to be a very, very popular choice because it's super clean, it's very minimalistic, and it would suit a lot of keyboards. I, myself, would be interested indeed in picking up one of these and checking it out. I like SA, and I don't have a problem with the height, even with a full sculpted set. I know a lot of people don't like the angle and the height, but they love the look. So by reducing the height on the SA profile, it will address a lot of that angle issue for people. And interestingly, keyboards that have a high top, which are designed to sort of make SA keyboards sink in a bit deeper, like high pro switches and things like uh, high pro keycaps, for example, putting a half SA key set on it would change it dramatically and it would be a lot more sunken in, but you'd still maintain that really gorgeous looking curve. So keep your eye out on that when that group buy happens, whenever it happens, however it happens. Hopefully the price is going to be quite affordable because it is JTK running it and as a sort of uh, OEM manufacturer, they have the ability to do large runs, significantly large runs and be, you know, quite affordable compared to custom key sets of custom colors. But that does lead to the potential of more custom sets in a different profile. And that's really exciting. Okay, moving a little bit on. Now, uh, there was a great post that was from Fakuri, F-C-O-U-R-Y, on, hey, should I do... 3D printed Lego cases. And when I say Lego cases, I mean cases that are compatible with Lego pieces. We've already seen artisan keycaps that can sit there and they've got the two by two, so you can actually plug Lego on top. And they've actually gone a little bit further than that. And they've created a range of cases. They started off with a dilly and they've expanded onto a uh, chocanoo a Alpha Triad and a Collide F39 case. Essentially, it's just putting these studs and the negative studs, the sockets, on the different surfaces of the keyboard and you could 3D print it and therefore start putting Lego on it. And I think that's awesome. I think that's really cool. What makes this even more cool is the fact that Fakuri has gone out and made it open source. They've released a whole bunch of the files, the STL files, measurements, and so on and so forth. And you know, I'm going to say that they've certainly made um, that widely available and it's given a lot of people great joy because Lego is one of the most amazing things out there ever, regardless of your age, young, old, or other. <laughs> uh, I would like to print some of this stuff out, but my printer's not very good and I wouldn't trust the measurements and calibrations coming out of my printer to produce something that works very well. It's pretty old now. It's it's pushing oh, a toddler, like six years old now, uh, and it's being neglected quite badly. Plus, ABS is a terrible medium to print with compared to, say, PLA, and I'm just too cheap to go and buy PLA when I still have a lot of ABS left. So if you are interested and you've got a 3D print available, head over to these links and check it out. They look fantastic. They give you a lot of fun. And I think if you also wanted to get kids involved uh, or even, you know, do projects for things like school, then this is a really great, fun way of getting into that space, being able to print custom cases and putting on Lego studs for that customization because, hey, you, the world is your Lego once you start having studs and sockets available to you. So thank you so much to Fukuri for doing a lot of that hard work and releasing those files and being very generous about it. Okay, now, uh, there was a, a thread, a link, a comment made on a particular keyboard this week uh, that, you know, I know that some people look at and they joke at and they have a bit of fun at it, but you, you do have to think a little bit more on what the concept is here and whatnot. And what I'm talking about is there was a thread which was called Rate My New Gaming Keyboard, QWERTY is for Losers. And it's a Maltron keyboard. Uh, 19 comments, not a lot of comments, which is not really a big deal. But one of the things is 
that you know people weren't sure about what it is uh, you know why would you have a one-handed keyboard and so on and so forth but it's nailed on the head and you know uh dr ikuno zero dr ikuno was like you know look through the maltron site jokes aside they have some really good keyboards their focus is on one hand and even head mouth keys for disabled people is respectable and that's the thing right so this maltron one-handed keyboard is super unique super different because it's designed to be fully functional with one hand it's ergonomic it's sculpted it's angled it's got a curvature to it and the layout is simply non-standard and if you look at where the keycap placements are and stuff like that it's it's completely wacky but it actually starts to make sense when you consider if you had to type everything one-handed now this is a right-handed version that the picture has in this thread and the first thing that you know you'll notice is the enter position is thumb cluster okay and then you've got arrows and punctuation in thumb cluster but then your first finger and second finger are actually on where a lot of the vowels sit so you've got a there and you've got o there you've got e there right and u is on thumb cluster and i is on thumb cluster so straight off the bat we use vowels a lot in words you know, there are a distinctly high number of vowels in english language so placing them within a very similar home row type of position is is quite important but then you'll notice around these clusters is the keys above and below your home row as well for primary fingers so in a standard wasd right you're talking wasd well what they've got here is s-a-t-e um well sorry they've got f up the top above a and then to the well, you know what look at the picture you'll see what i mean but if you think about the words that you type and the frequency of the key use it actually makes sense that what they're doing and where they're placing these keys go they've got number rows they've got punctuation rows and they've got a full-on numpad as well on the side if you read what they've got on the website people can get up to 85 words per minute once they learn how to use one of these one-handed keyboards man i type 81 85 words per minute with both hands and not even fantastically at times so you know somebody who has a disability for whatever reason doing 85 on one of these once they're trained in it is just going to be absolutely killing it right so jokes aside the fact that maltron have taken the time to design it and also think about the layout of typing and word use and functionality is is just amazing i don't know how much one of these suckers cost because i didn't really pay attention at it when i was looking at their website but if you lost the ability to use one of your hands or one of your limbs that would be devastating in itself but then to struggle at work because you couldn't type properly anymore you couldn't type at speed anymore that would be another blow and from a mental state point that would have been terrible so for Maltron, and if people are not aware of their devices to be able to come forward and go hey we can make you functional again at work we can give you satisfaction we can give you function again at a relative small cost then i think that is just absolutely amazing plus you know most workplaces if they want productivity out of you because you're still capable of doing the job you just might not be able to do the typing they would probably happily invest in one of these and sync it off as a tax write-off for them because they're providing essential equipment to work or if you have disability schemes within your country you know you could claim these devices against that it is big it is bulky uh it wouldn't surprise me if there's like a handle somewhere on the back of this that would allow you to carry it around but uh, to be honest i would actually be interested in trying one of these and just seeing how well i could type one-handed i'd probably think about using the left-handed model because then i could just leave my hand on my mouse <laughs> with my right hand all the time and i could just type away there with the the left hand course and draw even more weird looks at work but hey so maltron mad props lots of respect 
and lots of respect for anybody who's cranking out 85 words per minute on one of these two. Right, now we're going to get into a little bit of, shall I say, uh, <coughs> deeper discussion. So this week's deeper discussion topic, not that we have one every week, is the question raised by variable 303, why doesn't keyboard supply seem to meet demand? And this is quite interesting because relating this back to the first topic that I talked about on coaching, uh, you know, I'd offered very similarly in Discord, hey, if anyone is interested in coaching on stuff, then please let me know because I'd love to get in more practice and I want to help you, help me. Then, and somebody actually came out and said, I want to get more TGR boards. Coach me on that. And what it really came down to after I started asking these open questions and drawing out the discussion conversation, one of the threads is the fact that TGR don't produce enough boards. And that's what leads to a you know, a demand issue. And so this person, Variable303, I actually don't even know if it's the same person who asked this uh, on Discord. Probably not, but you know, they say, I'm fairly new to this sub, being here quite regularly, it seems like many keyboards are nearly impossible to buy from normal retail or manufacturers. There's a demand for products that often exceed supply. Wouldn't the market self-correct here? For example, I'd love to buy a Canoe or TGR Alice, but the only way I can get them is through GeekHack, MechMarket. Tons of people want to buy these keeps. As such, why wouldn't Canoe and TGR simply produce more to meet demand? Am I missing something here? Well, you know, there's 21 comments. A lot of them are, well, they're realistic and they're also a little bit cynical because they talk about availability, which doesn't really answer the question. Um, They talk about exclusivity. They talk about deliberate market pricing because demand means they can charge more. They also talk about definition of customs because Well, the whole point of it being custom is that it's not mass manufactured. Talking about group by operations and also the anticipated non-demands. And of course, financially speaking, the cost of actually getting them made and stock. So they're all very true, very legitimate and, you know, a little bit negative and cynical at times ways to think about it. But the core aspect when we're talking about keyboard supply and demand is there's OEM boards, which isn't really covered here by the question. And then there are custom boards, which is being asked here. Good morning, Ariete. Did you want to come up? Yeah. You going to say hello? Hello. Okay. Daddy's recording at the moment. Are you going to sit here with him or are you going to go do other things? I just sit here. You going to sit here? Okay. Please don't hit or touch daddy's keyboard, okay? Like you did last week, yes? Okay. All right. So with the custom keyboards, this is really where it's more applicable. And anybody who wants to do a group buyer manufacturing run is sinking a considerable amount of money in at risk. If you can convince a major supplier or a manufacturer to put in the money and they see that risk is low or returnable and fulfillable, then it will happen. But it won't be necessarily as custom as it would be. And what I'm talking about here example-wise is all the keyboards out there that are truly custom keyboards have been stuff that has not been manufactured through a large group. Stuff that is defined as a custom keyboard in the context of I built this myself and I put in these options are not necessarily true customs. And the keyboards like this is, for example, the aluminium kits and cases available from KB Defense because somebody's gone to them or they've designed it themselves and gone and said, hey, we've got a large cash kitty. We can do a large batch run of these. And therefore, they tend to become more in demand because of availability and in price. And then it's a self-feeding loop. Hey, this keyboard is in demand. We've got the money. We've made some money on it. Let's do another run. And they just keep running and running and running and running. And then 
it just becomes regular stock items. The affordability goes down because they start getting them in, so, well, sorry, the affordability goes up because larger volumes are being produced and larger volumes are being sold. But when you get to a point where, you know, somebody, uh, so if I want to use my own example of the down bubble, horrendously expensive for a prototype to be made for testing purposes, right? I've got one. Now, if I went out there and said, here's the group buy and here's the price, this is what it costs at the MOQs. Well, I might hit MOQs, but then I'm probably going to struggle to finance additionals to make it to the next point, which will make it cheaper. But if I had that cash bucket and I could make it cheaper, those who were sitting on the fence who couldn't financially afford it might jump on. And so there's that self-fulfilling part coming around. But do I run that risk? Do I try and spend thousands and thousands of dollars just to have extra stock to hit a higher MOQ bracket and price range in the hope that fence sitters will hop in? But the other aspect here that makes it challenging now for our space is intellectual property and China not giving two shits about it because so many fakes, so many copies, so many clones just happen. And it's very challenging and very difficult to be able to protect intellectual property and copy and design. A lot of people in our keyboard community do the right thing and they respect the designs. They respect the makers and creators and the intellectual property. And they will go and ask permission to do variations unless if they've already been released as open source with the correct attributions towards the designers and creators. But China doesn't. China doesn't care about that at all. And if you send a product out there for manufacture, depending on who you use for manufacture, there's a very good chance that your file will be used to make clones and copies or acrylic versions and things like that that will end up on AliExpress and on Taobao at a fraction of the price that you've been charged. And then people who run group buys and everything else are just going, you know what, there's no point in us making any more of these because there's a lower quality, cheaper version out there already. Let's move on to the next design. So the reward here doesn't carry through for people who design custom keyboards. And therefore, the original, the real, the true, authentic customs no longer have a supply chain for it. And their demand goes up because people, you know, want the ability to feel good and say, I have an authentic TGI Alice. I don't have a clone of a TGI Alice. And so on and so forth. It is a it is an interesting topic. It is a hot topic. And you know, especially with 3D printing now, uh, people can reverse engineer and design layouts and stuff like that. And we have lots of tools and we have a lot of models and parametrics and people with lots of smarts and practice and experience to make all of things all of these things happen. Um, as a as a rudimentary keyboard designer myself, not that I'm in anywhere up to the level of these custom keyboard designers who hold the high end of the market. It is a, I'm not going to say concern, but it's an issue that is very challenging to address. So for me, whenever I finish the down bubble, because I'm still waiting on those box pinks to come in, they have been invoiced by uh, Novel Keys to Daily Clack. So whenever they arrive, I'll be most happy to, to get them. You know, there's some iterations and changes that I would like to put into the actual case design and maybe the PCB design, but it would be heartbreaking to have spent months and months and months of the work that I've done and the consideration and time and effort for a clone to come out without my permission or even remotely acknowledgement and discussion, you know? So... And then it's disheartening and then it causes people to go, well, what's the point? And then they'll just move on to other hobbies and things like that. Now, that said, if there's a high demand and there's a means to do so, contact that group, contact that manufacturer, contact that producer and say, hey, you know, what would it take for another run of this to be made? Go forth and let that demand be shown. You know, have that backing. It's like petitioning, right? You know, we want this to come back. And if there is sufficient evidence that the risk of running more of these is negated, then the manufacturers are more likely to go ahead and make that happen. What are you doing? You're playing with daddy's hip? 
Mm. Mm. Are you feeling okay this morning, Ariel? Yeah. Okay. Rightio. So that that's kind of my thoughts in regards to supply and demand, and it's no different really to other things, watches and headphones and you know artisans. There there are artificial inflators. Then there's also the desire for the creator and artist for its uniqueness, because they might not be inherently wanting to choke demand, but they want to keep it something special. So they'll have limited numbers. It's as simple as that. Um, but for those who don't, because it's a simply a financial aspect and risk, well, they're your best choice to be able to talk with to see if they can do something about it or if they're interested in doing something about it. Now, we've kind of blown through the halfway mark, but let's uh, quickly throw in for the month of August, what is our competition? Competition for opportunity to get a Kibio kit. Uh, it is a switch tester keychain holder from DIY keyboards and a the board podcast lapel pin. Send in an email to our email address, theboardpodcast at gmail.com if you would like us to run a census and any questions that you would like asked on a census, which of course will be then released and asked to all of our listeners for September. I've already had nine entries which have come in with some really cool, interesting, different questions. So that's really fantastic. And not a single person has written in to say, no, we don't want a census happening. So I think that's really nice that everyone wants to know a bit more about our community, at least those who listen to this podcast. And it does make me wonder if it's different to the general census that's run often, uh, you know, on Reddit, on Discords and stuff like that. So... Please get your entries in. You've still got a couple of weeks to do that. To do that. All right. So just to wrap up on uh, this week's episode, bit of fun. Uh, A Equinox Alpha had put the uh, post your unpopular mechanical keyboard opinions. Let's lose some internet points. So uh, these come up from time to time and there's... There's lots of fun and lots of discussion in that. I don't know if uh, necessarily people will get downvoted to buggery or not. <laughs> and some of the, the fun ones, you know, artisans just make nice keyboards look worse. Holy pandas aren't great. Top race sucks. Uh, switch testers are useless because it's just touching one key. 96 layout is just a gimmick. <laughs> Uh, Zillions are a smoother version of rubber dome keyboards. Let's see what else is floating around here. Buying and collecting expensive mechanical keyboards is not a hobby. It's collecting or hoarding. Hmm. Uh, SA profile is ugly. Blue and blue-like are crap, but everyone seems to think that they want the clicks. These company group buys are abusing your willingness to pay out all your money f- with FOMO. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's some, there's some really good things here. Oh, MX tactiles are disappointing. <laughs> well, if it's not an MX tactile, does that mean Alps tactiles are not disappointing? Or is just tactiles in general are disappointing? Top ray... Switches are tactile, so are they disappointing? I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know if I necessarily have any unpopular mechanical keyboard opinions, but it's always something fun to bandy around because it shows the passion that people have for their personal preferences. So, you know, if you have an opinion, unopinion, unpopular opinion in regards to something on the mechanical keyboard community, I think it's good because it means you hold fast. It means you are a steady stalwart of your opinion on something that matters to you. So people who say artisans make nice keyboards look worse, you know, their sense of style, their sense of aesthetics, they, they, they're holding very strong to that, right? They're challenging that. Those people who like a specific, 
you know, sound or feel or layout. It's the same thing. And I think these very passionate thoughts and passionate people are what help to drive the diversity of our community. And don't be afraid to to let these unpopular opinions come out. I mean, it is just fake internet points that you're potentially losing here, so it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, does it? No, I don't think so. Um, so, you know, if, if you want to hang out in our Slack group and, and talk unpopular opinions, then you can send me an email to our email address at theboardpodcast at gmail.com and I can send you an invitation to join us. Um, if you, know, you want to voice unpopular opinions in regards to our content that we put on YouTube, then of course, head over to YouTube, find our YouTube channel and let us know in the comments below. It's quite funny because, you know, we've done hundreds of videos now and we actually have had a reasonable rate of downvotes. Uh, I don't really know what the hate is about in that, but at the same time, not a lot of people put unpopular opinions because I don't get a lot of raging debate compared to, you know, other places that have a lot of comment discussion. You want to do some clapping, do you? Yeah. So, you know, opinions are great. Opinions are great. As long as we respect each other in that they are just opinions and we shouldn't get butt hurt about somebody else's opinions if it differs from our own. Okay? Rightio. Um, my daughter is sitting here and obviously wanting to play and, and get a little bit more involved. And not that she's intending to be disruptive of my recording activities here. So we're going to wrap it there. Uh, I think that's been a good-sized episode anyway. Next week, as I said, I'm not quite sure what's happening episode-wise, so if you do hear something else from somebody else, please give it a listen. Check it out anyway, um, because more content from our community, the better it is. Of course, if you'd like to support us, you know, you can come by the Slack group and drop us a message, email us, join us on Facebook, and you can also check out our Patreon links and whatnot below. And of course, we've also got an Instagram with random keyboard photos. Thanks for listening to the episode. Don't forget to enter the competition for this month. And uh, I hope you all have a great week. Love, enjoy using your keyboards. So, of course, as always, until next time, happy clacking. You want to say goodbye? Do you want to say until next time? Until next time. And happy clacking? Happy clacking. <laughs> Good job.